Hey everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast. I'm here again with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, to break down the week's events. How you doing today, Jimmy? I'm pretty good, Noel. How about you, man? Another crazy week to be living in America, buddy. Man, it was one of the worst weeks for news that I recall, and that's saying something given the last few years, but it <laughs> felt especially brutal this week. It's very hot everywhere. It's very hot here on the East Coast. You know, summers used to be beautiful. And they're not anymore. It's like either too hot or raining in New York in the Northeast. So, and obviously all the stuff that's going down in Germany is mind blowing. These floods that are just washing away, uh, you know, these streets. I got a lot of friends in Germany and they're sending me pictures and they're terrible. So it's a tough time. And uh, this is supposed to be a comedy podcast and and I'll try to throw in some witty bon mots, but we got to get into the real here. I'm going to start the show talking about a headline I just saw, you know, Florida is now leading the nation or it's actually I Googled Florida leads the nation in COVID cases and there's about a half a dozen to a dozen times over the last year and a half where they've claimed that mantle, but they've claimed it once again this week and Florida now accounts for 20% of new COVID cases in the United States. What do you think of that, Jimmy? How in the hell is that a point of pride? They walk, at least DeSantis walks around like that's almost a point of pride. Like he, he's going to start finding these cruise ships if they don't allow people on them. Like, He's an active chaos agent on the southern border. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's selling merch, Jimmy. He's selling freaking T-shirts and koozies saying, don't Fauci my Florida. He's branding ignorance and people are lapping it up, you know, because he's got all the mannerisms of MAGA. You can go to the rally. You can get the fucking T-shirt that owns the libs, you know, like it's insane. He's like basically Trump with less herpes and no diaper. You know, but he's essentially Trump. That's a joke, Jimmy. I put it on Twitter. Okay. (laughs) Because Trump used to leave his Valtrex in the dressing room. So obviously, and Trump is the guy who attacks science, right? That was his big thing. One of his things when he was president was he fired all the research scientists at the USDA. People forget about that, but it was one of the heinous things because they're anti-science because it's easier to control a sick population, you know? and a poor population, because then they're sort of at your mercy more. That's why they don't want health care and stuff. But anyway, you know, Trump would have been dead of gonorrhea in the 70s, if not for penicillin. You know, if anybody mm-hmm. should be into science, it should be Trump. You know, the whole guy, the, his whole thing is a science experiment, <laughs> you know, like, but anyway, you know, he, he's making it sort of branded ignorance, like, hey, look at us. We don't wear masks. You know, and it's cynical. He went to Harvard. He went to Navy JAG school or whatever the nomenclature is for that. You know, he's an intelligent guy. And he realized, hey, I could be an authoritarian, you know, with these simple movements. There's so many racist old white people in the Florida, greater Miami area. There's that place that Trump always speaks at that has its own zip code, that big retirement community. I forget what it's called. So, you know, he's able to tap into that. You know, all those Northeasterners that move down to Florida because they don't want to pay income tax. And then you get all the Southern kind of people that flow down there. So it it's the state most ripe for a militant sort of Svengali to take over. And that's what DeSantis is doing. And it's terrifying because that stuff's going to spread 
to the rest of the country. And it already has. Obviously, Missouri, their hospitals are full. Tennessee is playing catch up really quickly here. And we could be done right now, Jimmy. We, we should be not talking about this anymore in terms of increased spread and in hospitalizations. You know, we got enough work on our hands without having a resurgence of COVID, you know, in the Delta variant. But here we are. You know, a mask mandate goes into effect tonight in L.A., in L.A. County. You got to put on a mask again to be indoors. And guess mm -hmm. what? You should have been wearing a mask already. You could take it off when you're eating and stuff, but I've been wearing a mask the whole time. I'm wearing a mask anytime I walk in anywhere because we're not that far out of the woods yet. You have variants out there. If I was like out there on a camping trip and all of my friends got murdered by like an axe maniac, you know, like <laughs> if I was in Friday the 13th and there was a question that there might be another dude out there in the woods or two more roaming around, I would be using whatever kind of protection I needed until they were all gone. Like I'm hiding in the cave until I know they're all coming out. You know, in World War II, there was like 20 years later, guys would come out of these caves in Japan in the mountains and stuff because they didn't know the war was over yet. And they were going to make damn sure it was before they came back. So there was dudes showing up like in the 60s, like, hey, are they still here? So that's how you have to be. It was it was the greatest like catastrophe we've faced in generations in this country. And people are like, well, it's all over now. You know, Sturgis is in three weeks in South Dakota. What is that going to do? It was responsible for literally the fall surge last year that you could blame that on one event. And that was Sturgis and all those idiots that went there and listened to the Kid Rock cover band on their motorcycle, <laughs> drank some beers and looked at some titties and then rode back, you know, to St. Louis and Kansas City and all these places and spread it to their wives and their children. And and then where, where were we in the fall? Right, we went right. from 200,000 deaths to 400,000 to 500,000 to now 600,000. And it's the same thing. It's all happening by this manipulative right-wing idiocracy that wants personal power and knows how to manipulate their populace. Christy Nome does not give an F about her constituents. If she did, her state wouldn't be so far behind in any metric that mattered, like healthcare and education and childhood poverty. She cares about her own personal power. And they all know now, if you go to Trump, if you genuflect, if you give him a hand job, he'll give you his blessing. And then you'll have power, too, and you'll be able to grift these fucking idiots because they answer the texts, you know, saying donate now, give to our cause. We're fighting for freedom. You know, Matt Getz and, uh, you know, little meth head, meth gator, whatever you want to call that little buyer plug of hate, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was supposed to have a rally tonight in Riverside, California, and it was canceled. Right. And, and then she tweeted out. And so did Matt, like, we're going to go anyway. They're not doing it anyway because they believe in some kind of cause. They know because there's money involved. They know if they get 5,000 morons in a room, they can sell them merch. They can give them, here's my website, donate now. Yeah, man. I mean, if you want a nickname for Marjorie Taylor Greene, mine is Gang Green. You know, she's just a virus that needs to be cut off at the source. But, you know, you talked about Trump and his lack of belief in science. All that we needed to see in real time was him staring at the sun during a solar eclipse. All right. That's a visual representation that Trump does not care about science. And I'm not saying misinformation is a good thing because it's not. And it will be the end of the republic uh, when it comes to the United States, in my opinion, when it's all said and done, if it continues down this road. But no, wouldn't it have been interesting if the CDC said, you know, uh, when you get covid, your penis falls off. That might have tempted a few guys to wear a mask. But instead, 
they, they can't even wear a mask to protect their family from this disease. It's deadly. We have to offer people cash and material items to get a life-saving vaccine. I, I can't imagine that when polio broke out or something else. You know, I just didn't think science would be politicized to this point. Well, it is because you can manipulate people with it. And, and they had nothing else to politicize. You know, it, it started with Trump because he was afraid. All he could think about when the pandemic started was his own reelection in November. And he was like, oh, my God, this is going to look bad on me. If you remember in the beginning, there was a bunch of people like 50 people had it on a cruise ship and he wouldn't let the cruise ship dock back in San Francisco because he was like, no, that's going to put up my numbers. He said it out loud. Like, no, I'm not going to let that happen because I'm not going to say there's 75 cases. There was a handful at that point. You know, there was less than 100. If we did what like Jacinda, I believe her name, the first name is down in New Zealand, you know, their excellent leader. If we did what she had done, we would have nipped this thing in the bud and we'd be well past it now. But instead, we're on the brink of not only more disease and death, because that's what we're facing. It's not going to be another big, huge lockdown like it was last time, but people are going to suffer. It's going to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated and, and their suffering is going to be passed on to their communities and their states. And it's going to cost lives and it's going to be miserable and it's going to cost a lot of money. And the people that are responsible for it are going to continue to reap windfall profits. You know, Fox News and Tucker Carlson and all these guys are going to clean up you know, they're going to make money because we're past the point of really anybody listening to rational thought. Now it's just a numbers game. We have to wait out generations of ignorance. You know, we have to wait till people sort of fall off and are buried in the ground and their kids get a little further away from their father's rhetoric. And then those people's kids get a little further away. But right now we're still in the like glory years of the Fuhrer. They still have Trump posters and flags on their yards and stuff. And he's still super powerful. And this week we found out that General Milley was planning for a coup. He was basically coming up with a plan with his generals in case Trump started a coup because he knew he was gonna. He was smart enough. You know, he's an educated guy. General Milley, you know, the great degrees make you educated. But the guy went to Harvard like he knows what he's seeing. And he's like, I see historical parallels with Hitler. This guy's like Hitler, you know, and he's going to try some stuff. And I said at the time when Barr resigned, that's why Barr was resigning, because he got wind of this plot and was like, even for me, this is too hanky. Like, I'm out of here. You know, I had no problem with El Mazote and Jeffrey Epstein and all this kind of stuff. But even this is a bridge too far. I'm out of here. So anyway, we found that out this week. We found out that an American president was attempting a coup. And it wasn't like we found out. We saw it. I mean, January 6th was a coup. He was tweeting about it the whole time. It's not like it was a secret. But we didn't know that people in the Pentagon were conscious of it. You know, that an American general whose job it is, is to basically advise the president on all the military matters, like didn't trust the president he was serving. And that's not to mention, we also found out that Russia apparently, you know, leaked these memos that, of course, Trump was a weaponized candidate in 2016 and they had compromise on him, which I've talked about at length on every episode of this podcast. Anybody who's spent more than 10 minutes with Donald Trump knows there's compromise because he's always creating his own as well. He'll be like, here, look at my phone. Look at her, dude. He carries around pictures of girls and women on his phone. And 
he's a disgusting pig like Matt Gates and all these guys because they trade in that. They use sex as sort of a honey trap and a weapon. That's why Eric Prince, you know, when he had his ranch on Wyoming during the last campaign, was training these women to try and get compromise on Trump's own administration officials. You know, they tried to pull that on H.R. McMaster. They literally had a girl sidle up to him at a DC restaurant where he ate dinner every night and tried to pick him up. And he was too smart for that BS. He didn't, he didn't take the bait. That's what Maria Butina was, you know, the NRA hot redhead who was running around, pounding around with everybody. So it's no surprise. What is a surprise is that this stuff is documented and we're still letting this idiot walk around free. Because we're not free on the other side of this. You will lose this republic. I promise you that. You're about 18 months away from losing it all. And if you think you're not, you're living in a Pollyanna-ish daydream. Because the GOP does not care. They're full fascist, fully weaponized. They'll lock this place down so quick. And your fellow Americans, your friends and neighbors will cheer them on. If you think half of these people will turn around and do the right thing when they start rounding people up, they won't. You know, people stood for babies in cages. That shows you the character of much of America. They were okay with locking up children in cages for four years. And then the guy who was the homicidal maniac who didn't like do anything about a pandemic at all and a thousand other crises who'd been impeached twice, 74 million people voted for the guy again. You know, they said, yeah, I'll take some more of that. It's better than Biden. Right. And, and then we won't even get into on this one rant, like how they're able to flip the script on somebody like Biden. That's where your Fox News and your OANs and Facebook. Facebook is the largest disseminator of this information. Facebook is for freaking idiots. Do you ever? I mean, I'm on Facebook because I have to be to promote some of this stuff. Yeah. It's like morons. You know, it's like the dumbest person you went on high to high school with is like, let's play Candy Crush. By the way, did you hear about this? You know? <laughs> Like it, it's stupid. Like just as a platform, it looks stupid. It looks like MySpace when you're allowed to customize your own page. Oh, you're too young for that. But like MySpace was the first one of these and you could like customize your own thing. So all of a sudden within two days, everyone's was like pink and purple and had like flashing like, you know, unicorns and it would crash your computer because it didn't have a uniform look. And when Facebook came out, that was the genius of it. It was that everybody's page looked the same. It was kind of like a high school yearbook. But now it's just got all kinds of advertising and just all this dumb stuff. It's just so unwieldy and impractical. <laughs> As, you know, as a platform, and that's why no kids are on it. Like the young hip people are not on Facebook. It's for your grandma and your uncle. And you know what I mean? Anyway, my point is it's dangerous. It's killing people. Biden said yesterday, Facebook is killing people. It is killing people because that's where people get their news. And it's adjusted. The algorithms will only tell you what you want to hear. Well, and um, Netflix did an entire documentary on it that, you know, the, the algorithms are situated so that they keep you on it as well. And when you watch The Social Network, the movie about how Facebook came to be, four out of five, nine out of 10 people came back once they were signed on. It's an addicting sort of thing because for my generation, we call it clout. You know, if you put a nice picture on Instagram and you get over 100 likes, that makes you feel good. You know, you get you get an endorphin overload when you get a like on your notifications. So, yeah, I mean, especially for people my in my generation, like we're, we're living such artificial lives that are supposed to be perfect within the within the range of our profile grid and it's like 
we're not this perfect. And it's okay to admit that we aren't. We're, we're in trauma. We, we've talked about that every week on this show. And as somebody with a disability, celebrating Disability Pride Month in July, I'm very nervous about another authoritarian coming back because what's going to stop them from being worse than the first time? Absolutely. You know, happy, happy Disability Pride Month. You know, I saw a horrible statistic this morning that most like fatal auto collisions with pedestrians happen to people in motorized wheelchairs, you know, in intersections. Mm -hmm. And that's not surprising. You know, second is probably cyclists, but it has to do with how people drive. The aggressiveness of like our culture now, and this is a constant theme, is like we're not looking out for the other. And you should basically be driving down the street as if like somebody else's child or no, your own child could run out. That's how I drive through a community. I'm like, somebody's kids live here. And what if they were my own? You know, what if my own cat was walking around in that yard? You know, if you're ever in a car with me, like you'll hate it because I'll be like, slow down, (laughs) slow down. (laughs) At any moment, I'm prepared for something to jump out in front of me because it's not worth it. You know, it's not worth taking any kind of life to get where you're going that much quicker. But we've sort of turned into this aggressive society. You know, I live in a, in a horse town, you know, which is a suburb of New York City. I'm only an hour away from the city, but it's like all horse farms and stuff. And I'm, I'm basically a quiet suburban, you know, slash kind of rural road, you know, a nice idyllic kind of country road. And people scream down this road with their jacked up pickup trucks and all this kind of stuff. And it's also people drive, you know, Ferraris and all that kind of stuff too. But like, it's like, you're not even in a nice car, bro. You know, you're in a souped up Chevy Silverado or something. Why do you have the big muffler? Why are you showing me how aggressive and mean you are? Show me what a good citizen you are. You know, like, remember when people were Boy Scouts? When I was a Boy Scout and I was a kid, it was like about helping the old lady across the road. There was a civic mindedness to this country that was like, you you act like a gentleman in society. You know, you hold the door. You look out for the fragile among us, you know, and there's nothing fragile about people with disabilities, but we you know, we all have a bare responsibility to make sure everybody in our society has safe passage in and out of buildings, has equal access to getting in and out of buildings, can go see a movie without it being a big deal, can get on a city bus without holding up everybody for 20 minutes because, you know, and, and like the resentment they feel. That technology mm-hmm. exists, you know, and the more freedoms that everybody has in our society and the more protections that we have for everybody, we're all strengthened by that. And that makes you tough. That makes you a man or a woman, not being aggressive and mean and driving through a neighborhood because you don't live in it, but you think maybe liberals do. So you're going to speed past that. You know, like a common thing now is people will like get mad because they're behind you on a road and like it's 45 mile an hour or or something, you know, and you drive the speed limit when they finally can pass you, they'll often give you the finger and speed past and make this big gesture. Cause it's like, you held me up. I wanted to speed and you were in my way, libtard. So, you know, and F you like, and that's just insane. Cause that negativity, first of all, you're not getting away with it. You might think you are, but karma is like everything that you do to somebody else. You're going to feel again someday. It might not happen while you're in this realm, but trust me, as soon as you get to the other side, you're going to (laughs) realize the error of your ways. I'm not saying you're going to sit and burn in hell, but you're going to realize, damn, I had an opportunity to be loving and kind and of service to my fellow humans. And I was selfish and angry, you know, and it's not going to feel good. You don't take the money with you. You don't take the big pickup truck with you. 
You know, you don't take the Bitcoin with you and whatever mm-hmm. you think is going to make you feel better on this realm, in this realm, nothing equates to living a life of service. And that kind of stuff needs to be instituted back into our society. We need like, as I say, we need Oprah Winfrey or somebody to be like, sit down. You guys really need to learn how to live again because because we've forgotten, you know, we talk about it on this show, but we've all been through trauma. We've all had you know, a predator stepfather abuse us for four years. That's what Trump was. He's the head of the country. He's the literally the patriarchal figure of the United States. And we got the worst of them. You know, mm-hmm. we got like the worst dude you could get. And and we had to deal with him. We still have to deal with him. And I'll shut up in a minute. But one of the quotes that came out was, if I was going to do a coup, I wouldn't pick Millie to do it with. That was his response to these revelations <laughs> this week. You know, the same way when he gets accused of rape, which is not accused, he's a rapist. I I'll 100% guarantee you he's raped many, 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 many women, you know, in the dozens up to 100 probably. But anyway, when he's accused of that, like the E. Jean Carroll case, they asked him about it when he was president. And he goes, she's not my type. Look at her. That's not my type. Not like I'm not a rapist. How dare you say such a thing? I would never. It's like she's not my type. So he had the same reaction when it came to like, hey, are you a brutal dictator who tried to overturn the will of the people and steal democracy? Well, if I was, I wouldn't be doing it with that ass clown. I would have picked a cooler guy, (laughs) you know, like that's not the right answer, dude. (laughs) And we have to deal with that. And that's going to cause trauma because if you are a sentient being with any kind of intellectual capacity, you realize this is not right. This is insane. We shouldn't still be dealing with this in July of 2021. This guy should have been locked up with a leather muzzle on his face you know, like Hannibal freaking Lecter and people (laughs) should have been studying him. Like how does somebody become such a sociopath? What you were talking about um, reminded me of when I think this was after the OJ trial was done. He wrote a book, right? Like if I did it, this is how I would do it. You know, it's it's similar to that. Like he's and every predator is is the same in plain sight. You know, R. Kelly wrote songs about having sex with kids before it ultimately came out. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to like it being uh, Disability Pride Month in July, that bill was initially brought up by George the first, you know, George H.W. Bush. A Republican would never pass something like that now because it's inclusive. They're about exclusive. We want to exclude as many people different from us as possible. That shows you just how far the GOP has drifted uh, in 20 to 30 years. That's a good point. We should send you undercover to like a MAGA rally you know, in a wheelchair and see like what the access is like. Because now that I think about it, I didn't see a lot of people with disabilities ever behind him on the dais. And talk about, I mean, people with disabilities are already isolated. Thankfully, you know, I'm verbal and I can talk to my friends. I'm, I live a relatively normal life. But for folks that are nonverbal, grow up in a household that's encompassed in Fox News, you're just isolating your kid more. You know, I mean, you can have your political ideologies, but Trump... That's the last thing our community needs, man. That's the last thing we need. That's a good point, man. It's not spoken about enough, man. You should dig into that a little bit. Well, anyway, let's 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 switch it up. Well, uh, let's talk about this Britney thing because you know, yeah. mental health is also a serious issue and and is debilitating. You know, and, and when somebody suffers from something like that, they should be protected, not exploited. 
it's not saying she's mentally ill. I'm saying, you know, like I'm an, I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's a mental illness. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And you have to treat it. And, and obviously <laughs> Brittany has some very public issues and I'll give, you know, I hadn't weighed in on this issue. I didn't see the documentary, but you know, I was literally the guy who brought her on stage for all of those like iconic MTV appearances, you know, when she had the snake around her and when she kissed Madonna and all that stuff, that was the height of my career in live TV. And I did the VMAs every every year. So I got a lot of Britney stories just as a performer and she was great. You know what I mean? She was a big star and I was there at the height of all that. And she always looked kind of like, you know, she was a great performer, but she always had kind of a shell-shocked look. So I remember when she was dating Justin Bieber and like he was holding hands with her and we were walking to stage at Lincoln. Timberlake, you mean? I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, to Timberlake. Yeah, yeah. The other Justin, Timberlake. Yeah. But, um, and I remember we walked to the side of the stage and then they pulled out a big snake and put it around her neck. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> like I didn't. <laughs> You know, and I, I always remember the sort of like look forward. You get this thousand yard stare if you're like a child star, some of them, because, you know, it's it's not a natural situation by any stretch of the imagination. And there's a lot of grownups making money off of you. And then if the grownups closest to you are only interested in exploiting themselves, you got a serious problem on your hands because nobody wants to stop that gravy train. You know, and MTV is going to make a lot of money off of your appearances. So mm -hmm. I, as I said, I did a lot of those things. And then Britney started to, you know, have her own public sort of issues, right? Around 2006, 2007 and stuff. And I was at a VMAs in Vegas, right? And I remember getting out there and I was like, who's opening the show? And they're like, Britney Spears is opening the show. And I'm like, Britney Spears, you know what I mean? She was shaving her head off in public like eight months ago. Like, remember she walked into like a, a deli or something, uh -huh. was hiding from the paparazzi because she was being chased. She was clearly a young woman who needed some time and space to deal with some personal things. She did not need another public appearance. And I remember saying to my coworkers, and I'm not a boss, I'm not somebody who made any of these decisions, but I was like, you're going to have a body on your hands if you like fly her out to Vegas. Like she was literally shaving her head in public eight months ago or whatever, you know, that thing it was in February. And now we're here we are in August and she's coming out to Vegas and I'm in recovery myself. And at this point, I'm like, you know, maybe a year sober, a year and a half sober. And I felt for her because if you're dealing with any kind of addiction or that kind of stuff, like you don't want to be in the public eye for a while. You want to deal with what your stuff is. You don't need that extra kind of temptation. And she was clearly struggling with stuff. And she was late for the rehearsal because she wouldn't get on the plane in L.A. And they kept saying, like, the plane is late. Like her people kept calling MTV and saying like, yeah, the plane is late. And they, and, and they were like, it's a private jet. <laughs> like, it's not late. It's sitting there on the runway. <laughs> like you're clearly like dysfunctional and not getting on it. She finally get on it, got on it, came to the rehearsal. They had to give her margaritas and stuff. She was drinking. It was a mess. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Then she and I'm not saying this to disparage her. I'm just telling you guys a behind the scenes thing. Right. So like it was clearly a mess. This was like Friday night. We did that rehearsal Saturday. She ends up partying with like Paris Hilton and stuff, you know, in Paris. It's sweet. We, we shot it at the Palms. And then Sunday's the gig. So it's like they clearly have to tell her management, like she can't be drinking all day. She's going to be live on the VMAs. And this was back when the VMAs was a huge TV show. Nobody really watches it anymore. But back in the day, it was like kind of must see TV for a certain demographic, especially the opening. 
So she clearly takes like Valium or something all day, you know, so she doesn't have to drink at night. And that's why if you saw that opening, Corey, you're not going to know what I'm talking about, Jimmy. But I think I do remember. She was kind of doing the Macarena. Well, here, she was one step behind. She she didn't keep up with her dancers. So it was clearly an off performance because that's what happens if you're if you're taking some kind of sedative, you're just not going to really be there. So she wasn't on her game. It was a pretty messed up, bad performance. It was live. There's no do overs. And it was like I said, you know, it was like, man, you're going to have, you know, a body on your hands. Luckily, she lived through the thing and she's still alive and thriving. And my friends still dance with her out, you know, in her review in Vegas. But the next morning, I remember like I was in an elevator leaving with some MTV people and they were like, yeah, well, I think we're on every headline, you know, in the country, every paper in the country. And when I got to the airport, Every newspaper had Britney Spears. Britney blows it at the VMAs, like every single from the New York Post to whatever, like every kind of like mm-hmm. paper, because all airports have like 50 papers, right? So it was like 50 pictures of Britney from last night. And I'm like, God, like, how did you do this to this person? Like, this is horrible because it was clearly a setup. My point is you clearly could have said, hey, you shouldn't even have booked her. Anybody with compassion knew that, but we knew, and it's not, I wasn't a boss, but by, by Friday, it was clear like this was going to be a disaster on Sunday. Right. It was going to be a train wreck and they knew it was going to be a train wreck and a train wreck was even better than a successful performance because it was on every headline the next day and everybody had to watch the clips and stuff. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm talking about somebody getting used you know, and that's what the industry does, right? That So that's at the best. That's what the industry will do to you. So just yeah. imagine if your parents are willing to go along with that and exploit that. And that's what, you know, the re- revelations are now, which are just beyond the pale, you know, that she has to like wear an IUD and all this kind of just crazy stuff. But it's a sad story. Luckily, she's still with us and she's on her game and she's fighting back and she's getting proper resita- you know, representation and people are getting, you know, into a movement, you know, and, and I'll segue here in a second into Matt mm-hmm. Gates because he's trying to glom onto the movement. But <laughs> clearly some good is going to come of, of this and shout out to Ronan Farrow. You know, he's always breaking these excellent stories. He's an excellent reporter. He is. Yeah. I mean, I am this Brittany's not the first pop star to kind of have, you know, a, a bad moment or two uh, where people need time away. You know, Michael Jackson had it. Justin Bieber had it. It's an emotionally violent business, the entertainment business. That was Dana Carvey. He had an interview with Howard Stern and he said it's it's emotionally violent to be in entertainment because you might be riding high one moment and you've got the rest of your career ahead of you and then it tumbles down because you're on top and what you were saying. Yeah. You know, our country capitalizes on, we, we love to see people fail in America and it's sad. You know, we have a, a whole show called Wipeout where people just fall on their face. You know, that kind of shows where our culture is when it relates to the success of other people. Absolutely. Because, you know, people people tune in to watch Evil Knievel to watch him crash. You're not watching him jump that stuff to see him land it. You're, you're hoping to see him crash. You're watching football to see people get tackled. You don't want this thing to all happen like with beautiful precision. You want to see the big dude smash into the other big dude and everybody go, oh, that hurt. You know what I mean? Um, And then you clap when he gets carried off the field. (laughs) You know, yeah. what are you clapping at? You know, like good sport. Like the dude's not going to walk past 40. You know, he's not going to name it. He's not going to know the name of his grandkids. It's gladiator school. But anyway, I know you like football, so we won't get into that. So. (laughs) 
Matt Getz, he's hired all these PR firms. One is a way to launder his money because he knows that charges are probably coming soon. And he's got a lot of money that he's got to hide away. He's a rich kid. You know, daddy's rich. So he's hiring PR firms. He's hired Roger Stone's firm. He's hired a lawyer that also represented El Chapo and Jeffrey Epstein. Can you imagine a sitting U.S. congressman is like hiring the firm of El Chapo and Epstein? But he's doing all these things because they're power plays. You know, that's why he's having a rally or attempting to this weekend. That's why he's out there trying to co-opt the free Britney movement. These guys are shameless and they know how to game the system. Trump didn't do all the damage he did without very expert tutelage. And it's beyond Roger Stone and Manafort. It's beyond the, the guys you know. Like, yes, those guys all played a role. General Flynn, Mike Flynn, all these idiots, okay? But Don McGahn was a big person in all this. But there's somebody even far removed sort of in the shadows who really knows how all this works, who are several men, most likely men, that were like, you'll get away with this. You know, the DOJ really doesn't have any teeth. They don't have the stomach to go after you. That's why I always thought Jeff Sessions knew that Robert Mueller wouldn't really ever do anything to Trump or his kids. He knew when Rosenstein appointed Mueller that they were basically safe, that it would be drawn out, it would take forever, but it would really never hurt Trump. But he was too impulsive to listen to that advice and he just fired Sessions because he couldn't stand anybody not completely acquiescing to his will, you know? And then when he fired Sessions, he realized, you know, he really screwed up and then boom. I guess Mueller came on right afterwards yeah so right. sessions recuses himself trump fires him you know and my point is sessions knew like hey i'm gonna recuse myself you'll probably end up with an independent counsel rosenstein is the guy i've appointed to pick the ic and it'll be okay your special counsel or whatever not ic but trump just got all impulsive but his if you notice after that debacle which was a forced error on his part he calmed down not saying he calmed down as a person in his rhetoric, but he left that situation alone, right? Somebody got to him and was like, hey, don't worry. Like, we're going to bring in Bill Barr. He'll fix this whole thing up, you know? And Bill Barr, what did he say? He said, it was my job to land this plane. And Bill Barr came in and said, hey, button it up, Mueller. Come on, Bob. Time to wrap this thing up. Go back out to Virginia. Golf course is waiting on you, buddy. Get out of here. And that's not to say that the Mueller report didn't have a bunch of things in it. And it made great fodder for people's podcasts to talk about for two years, right? But oh. it didn't do anything to Trump. It didn't prevent a single death of COVID. It didn't have him marched out of there in handcuffs. It didn't do all these things that people thought were going to happen when they were making their little memes saying like, Mueller is coming. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> Mueller time. No, it's not. It's business as freaking usual in Washington. So somebody knew that. They knew the DOJ with the current makeup of, of Capitol Hill with the Senate and the congressmen that Trump would never be held accountable basically in this lifetime. And I mention that because that MO is has only strengthened and the Democrats need to become aware of that real quick. Like mm -hmm. I said at the top of the show, you got about 18 months and all these Republicans are running to be secretaries of state in all these red states. And these guys are whack jobs. You know, they're going to be like, nope, Kamala didn't win. It's DeSantis. <laughs> you know, DeSantis is our president from Oregon. Like, that's who we're certifying. I'm not accepting the res result. We came so close to that. 
it, I mean, it's not even over, right? They're still trying to do their recounts. They're not going anywhere. But my point is next time, it'll be even more smooth and there'll be even more chaos, okay? Because all the kind of people that attack the Capitol, they're all walking free, right? The FBI is spending gazillions of dollars sorting through all this cell phone footage and all this kind of stuff. And what are the judges doing? The large majority of the people charged in the insurrection are walking free today, okay? Mm. Khalif Browder got accused of stealing a backpack as a 15-year-old and spent three years on Rikers Island, two of them locked up in solitary confinement. He was a child, okay? Grown men in their 40s and 50s and women attacked the Capitol killed police officers, participated in the most audacious bit of criminality we've ever seen. We executed the Rosenbergs for less than this. You know, there's a couple we accused of being spies around the World War II area. They got executed, right? These guys did all this and they're walking free. The judges are like, okay, you're out on bail. What do you mean you're out on bail? They should be in Guantanamo. When I think back on January 6th, I woke up thinking it was going to be a good day. Both of the Senate races were going Democrats way in Georgia. And then what unfolded unfolded. And it like hurt my soul. It felt like I was being stabbed when I was watching them go into the Capitol. You know, because I, 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 I love my country. I, I always have, you know, even through all of our mistakes, I figured that we would eventually build a better union. You know, and maybe I'm just hopeless when it comes to the idea of democracy. But, you know, we, we took the one thing that we at least pretended to care about as Americans and we corrupted it. And you can't unring that bell. Again, it's going to take generations to fix. You can't undo something like that easily. Yeah. And you have to learn what your country really is. You know, yeah. why did you love your country? Because people told you to love your country. Like, what was it that you loved about this country, Jimmy? I did. I was naive to think that, you know, the founding fathers didn't own slaves. But as men, they, they at least believed in the idea that people could run it. We didn't have to be ruled by a singular person. Yeah. And now we have a cartoon character. We have a clown, a, a joker wannabe, you know, trying to vie for, for what? Just so that he can do things and, and chase cars. Just like Heath Ledger's character says in the movie, you know, I'm, I'm about chasing cars. I just do things. That's right. what Trump does. Yeah, but he's a godhead figure. He's just there to distract the masses, the people behind the scenes, right. your Koch brothers, your Mercers, you know, the guys that are poisoning this planet to the extent that everyone's getting hip to it now, right? Because Germany looks like rivers are rolling down the streets, right? It's mm -hmm. 118 degrees in Oregon last week. There's fire NATOs in California. You know, if you hear a fire NATO, it should be like, no, no, shut this thing down. Yet my neighbor's out there mowing his lawn for three hours on his tractor from the 1970s this morning. Mm. You know what I mean? Nobody's stopping their consumption of fossil fuels. And the companies that are making money off of that, you know, your Exxon Mobiles, your Koch brothers that have all these pipelines everywhere, your governor mm -hmm. Abbott from Texas, who made it illegal to ban fracking in any Texas municipality. I mean, fracking is the dumbest thing ever. That's the dumbest way to get energy. And it's the cheapest crude shale oil you could get or whatever shale. I don't know the proper term, but it's crappy. And we're in a country that like we used to kill whales to get oil. You know, we used to fire our lamps with whale oil. Like what was wrong with a candle? Why are you <laughs> going to take a boat halfway around the world to kill Moby Dick to get out? That's technology, right? To get whale mm -hmm. oil. We did that. 
You know, we plundered the oceans of these magnificent creatures in the interest of progress. That's not progress. It's not really progress to dig into the earth and dig up oil. The Gulf of Mexico caught on fire last week, two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. right? That's because they were drilling in the ocean floor. Like when you're that desperate, when you're going down into the crust of the earth to pull up a bunch of coagulated dinosaur bones and fire up some idiot's F-150, that's insane. Not that oil is 100% dinosaur bones, but that's how I like to think of it. But anyway, it's craziness. And you don't want people getting wind of how insane our structure is right now, of how dangerous it truly is. You know, I saw a thing this morning, somebody in Santa Monica, it's called Torres Targets is the name of the business. It should be shut down, but it's not. They sell targets to shoot at with your guns and their new target has Greta Thunberg on it. It's a picture of Greta Thunberg. They also have Kamala Harris. They have Maxine Waters. They have Pete Buttigieg. You know, they have all these, they sell targets with people that are on the progressive left so you can shoot at them right? People do that because you want to react violently to people that are warning you about the danger you're in. Because the the companies behind that have their whole lives, their whole greed, their whole industries are built on people being dumb. If people really understood the depth of the danger we're facing, you wouldn't go out and turn on your car right now. You would be like, I'm opening my windows. I'm turning off the AC. I'm going to conserve as much fuel as I can. Because it's already past the breaking point. Now it's just a slide into oblivion unless we do something about it. And I don't care if my listeners think this is depressing and hyperbolic. I'm not going to bullshit you. This isn't Joe Rogan. I'm not going to tell you dick jokes, okay, and and rugged individualism. I'm going to tell you the truth. This planet is dying, and we're losing species and creatures at an alarming rate. And now we're losing cities, and we're losing people. Okay, and there is no do overs. So you have to question anybody who's keeping you from that truth. And if you think they'll sell targets now, wait till it really starts to hit the fan. Wait till there's an administration like a DeSantis or a Trump too. At the same time, environmental calamity really comes on strong and people organize and try to fight against it. They'll be considered insurrectionist. You know, now the insurrectionists won't be the MAGA people, it'll be the people on the left you know, that are trying to conserve and they'll tell their idiot followers, you know, this army of idiots that I'm always talking about. Trump will be like, go after them. They're standing in the way of your, you know, your freedoms and your pickup trucks, shoot them. You know, that's what you're training people to do when you're selling targets of a teenager to shoot at her face. Like, and that's America. They're selling those things, Yeah. you know, and people like they sell these t-shirts, fire, you know, don't Fauci my Florida. Like what? What? Well, and I think the most depressing thing about it is, again, Vice is one of the best movies I've watched in a long time. You watch that movie and Jimmy Carter had uh, solar panels on the White House. You know, imagine if we kept the policies of Carter and we still were on renewable energy. We would be the leading country in the world for this stuff. But no, the short term profit motive was just too much for people to. Well, it's, it's not short term, it's long term profit. Yeah. You know, the yeah. reason they went after Carter so hard was because that's when the Koch brothers woke up and right. got really involved in politics. You know, before that, their father was a libertarian. They were part of the like John Birch Society and all that kind of stuff. And then Carter came around, you know, and the gas energy crisis of the 70s, which I remember 
You know, I was at the Sunday festival in the 70s it was a solar power festival on the mall. That's the first time I saw Jackson Brown perform. And I saw a bunch of people come out, you know, to try and do the right thing. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to be a part of. People trying to like no nukes, you know, like progress. And the Koch brothers got real hip to that real quick. And we're like, we need to get involved in politics because if these guys have their way, if these hippie progressive types take over, we're not going to have a gas industry in 10 and 20 years. So what do they find? You know, they get an actor from California who was really good at racism and at pretending to be this John Wayne kind of like conservative. You know, Sinatra hated Reagan. He was a racist back in the California days. He, you know, he was the SAG president and then he was the governor, obviously, and then became president. Right. But like he represented this new kind of like Republicans. And then you got, you know, Lee Atwater and all these guys that were able to flip these Southerners and these union types that had always been Democratic rather in their demo. But they were able to flip them in this culture war. You know, like, who do you want to be? You know, you want to be one of the a Black Panther or you want to be a John Wayne? So they used racism and stuff. And then it happened to coincide with all this sort of like deregulation that that started an economic boom for Wall Street and people like that. And a lot of Americans bought into because they got these small tax breaks and stuff, but they didn't realize they were screwing themselves in the long term and all their factories were going to be moved overseas. And, and then 20 years from there, meth would come into their town and these Rust Belt towns would just be devastated. And the same people would still profit. Right. Your Sacklers that invented Purdue Pharma, you know, pump in like, you know, opioids in all these communities where people have these broken bodies from working in coal mines and stuff. And doctors are writing scripts left and right, you know, and Oak Brothers are taking away your education and funding all these politicians that are bullshitting you. You know, your Joe Manchin's in Virginia pretending like he's on the side of the working man in Virginia. No, he's not. He sits on the Energy Committee in the Senate. Okay, he, he never met a dime he didn't like. His own brother had to sue him to recoup a million and a half dollars that he loaned him to save the family business. Guy's a scumbag. His mm -hmm. daughter raised the price on EpiPens to $700, like 400% increase. But people don't figure all that out because, what? well, he's the white guy. He's got the flag, you know, mm -hmm. and then a guy like Joe Manchin holds up the entire Senate right now, and you won't get a filibuster. Uh, you won't get, rather get rid of the filibuster. And if you don't get rid of the filibuster, you get rid of democracy. It will come down to something as simple as that. And we'll look back in hindsight and people will write books is this is how you could have saved America had you done these bold moves, but we're not doing that. And Biden's a great guy. I'm not dissing on Biden, but he's business as usual. I wish we had had the courage to elect somebody a little more kick ass. You know, mm -hmm. a little younger and a little more kick ass in terms of like recognizing what a dangerous position we're in. In And I know I like Biden. I'm not dissing Biden. I'm just saying like we're not meeting the moment. You know, if I was going into battle like we are going into battle right now, we don't have like the Avengers on our side that I would want. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we don't have like I'm like, oh, this is our team. Like we're going to get slaughtered because we're still not being honest about what we're up against. The other side can tell people not to get vaccinated and not to wear masks, and they do it, even though it kills them and their own children, because they believe in the dogma so much, right? But Democrats, we sort of fight amongst each other, and we fight over, don't call it global warming, call it climate change. Like, mm -hmm. no, I'm going to call it whatever I want. I'm going to call it the world's on fire, and you got 10 fucking minutes to get serious about it, or it's going to be too late.
Yeah, I think the bigger issue is like we need to make adjustments. You know, it's not sustainable. Whatever we're doing right now, it's not sustainable. And like you've mentioned before, Noel, with, you know, each person in society playing their role, you know, we're part of an ecosystem, too. When you lose touch, we've talked about McDonald's on this show. One of the reasons why MAGA folks love Trump is because he eats McDonald's. That's like the least human food that I can think of. You know, that's just processed and sugar and fat, you know, and and he is an embodiment of America. As much as we don't want to believe that, 74 million people wanted another round of Trump. And um, it's still not over. It's still not over. And we got to remain vigilant. It's not over at all, you know, and it's because, you know, it's easier to eat fast food than it is to learn the truth. You should watch the Dick Gregory documentary and all of our listeners should. If you haven't seen it, there's a brand new documentary on Dick Gregory on Showtime, which is amazing. Dick Gregory is, you know, a hero of mine and of many. But you mentioned McDonald's like that was one of the things he did. He, you know, he, he told the black community like they're poisoning you. They don't have your best interest at heart. We have super high instances of diabetes and, and obesity and all these things. And he was getting people to, you know, go vegan when nobody was vegan, bro. Back in the 70s, he was telling people to eat healthy and give up like white flour and sugar and all these things that, that still sound kind of radical. But back then were like extremely radical dairy and all this stuff the dude fasted for two and a half years to end the vietnam war he Mm. only drank juice every day for two and a half years he ran across the country across the united states drinking Mm. only juice and water to raise awareness for this kind of stuff and got muhammad ali to join him if you don't know who if you're not hip to dick gregory your mind's about to get blown jimmy so (laughs) you got i'm ready you can get it if you don't have showtime there's a subscription like a free trial watch it because you'll learn about the history of this country the guy he was making five hundred thousand a year in the early 60s as a stand-up comedian that's a fortune back then that's a fortune right now but back then it's like ridiculous money and he walked away from it to join the civil rights movement, essentially, to help out Dr. King and Medgar Evers and these guys. And then he never, he never looked back, you know, and then he went into health and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I'll let you watch the documentary, but he never stopped speaking out. He never stopped being hilarious. And I remember I, I met Dick once the day Bill Clinton was elected. I went to a little rally across the street from the White House in Lafayette Park. And uh, there's like a statue there in the middle or something. And we're hanging out in this thing and he's giving a speech and I'm there on my bike. I'm a bike courier at the time. And he he goes, hey, you know, the FBI has been following me since the 60s. You know, they never take their eyes off of me. Look over there at the White House and you'll see the snipers right now. They're pointing (laughs) at me, not at you. And we point over the White House and they're there, you know, Mm, they always kind of have snipers, but they were sort of on extra alert because of this little thing. And he goes, all right, everybody wave at him. (laughs) We all started waving at these snipers. But Hoover was after this guy in the 60s and 70s. I mean, he was seen as a radical. And my point is that because he was telling the truth and people don't want to hear the truth because it shakes up the status quo. People could say to me, like, I thought you were a comedian. You're supposed to be funny. Well, I'll make the stuff funny as much as I can, but I'm not actually here to just make you laugh. I'm here to try and point to the truth and get you to make different decisions about your life because it's not just about you. It's not just about what you want in that moment. It's about what you're going to leave behind. And it's about what you can serve while you're here, who you can serve, you know, and serving your fellow man, serving the world you live in, protecting all species. There's no higher goal. That's better than being Joe Rogan. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's better than being some comedian who gets paid gazillions of dollars to tell dick jokes and further misogyny, which there's way too much of. The comedy clubs suck because it's like there's so much misogynistic stuff in there. That's why I play music halls. By the way, I announced a new gig yesterday. I will be at the Wall Street Theater in Norwalk, Connecticut on November 18th. And coming up two months from yesterday, I will be at the Ram's Head Tavern in Annapolis, Maryland, another legendary music venue. So uh, my point is I'm not dissing on comedy clubs. It's not like they're beating down my door kind of thing. Because, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 a lot of them, you don't hear a lot of political stuff. You know, you hear kind of what's going to make people laugh and, and have a few more drinks. And it's a comedy club. That's what it's for. <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. not down on that. Yeah, the phone's ringing. I have a phone, everybody. Big deal. My point is there has to be a message in what you're doing. And, and there's never been a better time to get real about what we face. Because we're, we're not, you can keep your head in the sand, but it's not going to make things go away. As I said at the top of the show, this is a miserable summer in terms of weather. I don't know anybody who's like, oh, this is beautiful. These are nice days. I mean, it's way too hot. It's way too rainy on the East Coast. Is it laugh? Are you laughing because the phone's ringing? No, um, I was going to say, if, tra- if Trump drained the swamp, he poured it into Indiana, man. Like, it's just, it's sweaty outside. Like, I don't, I don't even want to be out there. It's horrible. Exactly. That's what I'm, that's my point. And I'm like a lizard, bro. I'm out in the sun. You know, I'm somebody who loves to tan and all this kind of stuff. I can't even get a tan anymore. Like the sun is just so hot. It's brutal. There's mold everywhere because it's so wet. And it's the opposite out West. Lake Mead is the low, the lowest point it's ever been. And that's where LA gets most of its water. So the times are upon us to do something. And it's about a personal virtue. It's not the time to be out there washing your car. It's about like, doing what you can do to make this a better place so somebody else can have a shot at making it even better in the future. Let me tell you one more story before I go. One of our listeners is a big uh, Dave Grohl Foo Fighters fan. And, you know, a lot of my friends, I I know those guys, I've worked with them and and, uh, they had to cancel their show. They're supposed to be playing tonight at the LA Forum and they had to cancel it because somebody in their organization tested positive for COVID. So it shows you how serious this is. And their tour manager is a friend of mine. I know their manager, that's a great organization. And, you know, Dave and I first crossed paths back in my DC days. My neighbor, basically we were pretty much roommates because we were all kind of communal living practically on these row houses. So my neighbor is a guy named Skeeter who was the bass player in Scream and Dave was the drummer, you know, and Dave Dave was like the local kick-ass great drummer in D.C., and it was a scene based around hardcore, uh, Discord Records and Fugazi and all that stuff. So Dave was kind of like the young kick-ass star in that scene. Scream was a big band who toured in Europe and put out an EP and stuff, and uh, Skeeter basically broke up the band. You know, he kind of fell on some personal stuff, and the band broke up, and Skeeter and I worked together as bike messengers for this company called Messenger X. So while this is happening, and Skeeter would call me the guitar guy because I would always sit on our little porch area and play guitar, and uh, while this is happening, Dave freaks out at first and is like, "Uh, you know, what's going to happen? Like, I was in Scream. That was a huge band. It was going to make it. This guy, Suicide Mike, said, you know, you should go out to Seattle this guy named Kurt on Sub Pop, it's like Discord, he's been through a couple drummers. So somebody else takes credit for for making that introduction and and they may be right, but basically Dave obviously ends up in Seattle and does his time in that scene. So a couple of years later, I'm sitting, this would have been, I guess, 91, 92. I'm sitting in Farragut Square 
with Suicide Mike, you know, with the same guy who knows me. He goes, hey, Dave's back in town tonight. You know, his new pl- band's playing at the 930 Club. You want to go? I think they're on at like 830. And I'm like, what are they called? He goes, Nirvana. I go, nah, dude, I'm not going to see that. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, there's a million yeah. stories like that. But anyway, I hear the record, you know, a couple weeks later, and it blows my mind like everybody else. And Dave's the same guy. He still comes and hangs out. I remember in the height of all that, he took my seat once at this bar that we all used to hang out in called Chaos. It was upstairs of Chief Ike's Mambo Room in D.C. on uh, Columbia Road. I remember when I saw Dave at the height of all this, and I'm still a a messenger guy in D.C., I'm like, man, like he's in a real band now. Like he's going to get to go to the VMAs. Like he might meet Eric Clapton or something, you know, like he's like actually kind of going to meet real rock stars. And now he's probably the biggest rock star in the world. And when my career took off behind the scenes, I ended up doing a lot of stuff with the Foo Fighters. I did there. They paid tribute to Queen when Queen was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I did VMAs with them. I did the VMA, the same one I told you the Britney story at. They were my assignment. And we did this great set where they played in a hotel room at the Palm. And they had like Lemmy from Motorhead sit in with them and Queens of the Stone Age and CeeLo. They played a Prince song. And then afterwards, we all went down to the party and Dave threw CeeLo in the pool and then jumped in the pool. And me and their manager are trying to like fish these guys out of the pool. And I remember at one point, it was a great, it was an epic party. At one point, Dave, you know, we'd been working hard all night. He's like, you've been working hard all night. Hands me a bottle of Jack Daniels, goes, drink this. And I go, I don't drink. And he's like, drink this. And I'm like, no, I can't. And he's like, drink this. And I'm like, I can't drink it like time man Tony can't drink, which was a friend of ours, you know, who gave up drinking like I did, you know, so Dave got it in that moment, you know, Uh that I was somebody who shouldn't be drinking. And he looks at me and then pulls the bottle away and gives it to another dude and goes, drink this. You know, it was just such a cool rock and roll moment, you know, because it was like, here's a guy I admire who's one of the most kick-ass rock stars in the world. But I had the, I was going to be myself. You know what I mean? Like that's real rock and roll is knowing your limitations, knowing how to honor your own body and your own spirit and make the decisions that keep you rocking. You know, and I've been rocking ever since. That was probably 15 years ago. So I wish those guys, you know, a speedy recovery, whoever has it, and they'll be back on the road kicking ass because nobody exemplifies being a rock star. The last time I saw Dave was probably with Paul McCartney when Ringo Starr got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame out in Cleveland. So, you know, nobody brings the party better than Dave. And uh, so all those guys, speedy recovery. Thanks for listening one more time. And we'll see you next week. So with that, that's episode 20. Jimmy, you got anything you want to plug? Check out my website, JBK on air. My initials, J-B-K-O-N-A-I-R. You can also follow me, JBK on air, Twitter and Instagram. All righty. Uh, and I'm Noel Kassler, noelkassler.com, Twitter, all that stuff. And, and by the way, we're going to hit 100,000 uh, downloads by the time you hear this. So thanks for making that happen and keep tuning in. Thank you.